Amen. That's a good question in song. And the answer is what? Nothing. Nothing's too hard for God. Let's open up our Bibles, please, tonight to the book of Philippians, chapter 3. Ah, Pastor Silver, you're back. Yeah. Here we prayed for you. We thought you were still over at the anchor. How'd it go? Went well? Good. Praise the Lord. Good. Um, we would like to talk tonight about the concept of faith promise. Now, tonight, um, I'm not going to thrill you with a bunch of stories, missionary stories or stories of Carla and her, her famous rat brigade, rat patrol. Um, but rather, I want, to, um, I want to sort of turn the church into a Bible college a bit tonight. And we're going to study something. So we're going to be looking at a number of different scriptures. So exercise your fingers to flip the pages or push the buttons on your device or whatever it is you do uh, in order to go from scripture to scripture because we want to uh, educate ourselves tonight. When we talk about a concept, a concept is a general notion. It's a frame of mind, a framework, if you will, on which you build. So you start with a framework, uh, foundation, and then you build and add. And that's, that's the meaning of concept. So we're talking about the concept of faith promise. Alexander Graham Bell had the concept of transmitting human voices over electrical wires a distance. And the result was the telephone. Aren't you glad for the telephone? Isn't that great? And then, of course, they figured out how to do it wirelessly. And then came the cell phone. Wherever you go in the world, you'll find McDonald's and a cell phone. Just everywhere. Maybe a bottle of ketchup too, I guess. Something like that everywhere. Now, concepts change. The older we get, the more our thinking changes. Things that we thought were very important once upon a time, we learn that they're not that important anymore. Paul used uh, this uh, analogy. He says, when I was a child, in 1 Corinthians 13, when I was a child, I spake as a child, thought as a child... When I became a man, I put away childish things. And so, um, uh, when we're children, there are certain things that are very uh, important to us. Certain toys, certain activities. But as we grow up, we put those things aside. And then we, um, we change. Our, our priorities change. You know, if you ask, um, if you ask a woman... What's the difference between a boy and a man? She'll tell you just the price of his toys. Hmm. Think about that. There's actually some truth to that. Um, concepts change. Hopefully for the better. Our concept of uh, marriage and family. Our concept of what the church is. Our concept of our lives as Christians. Hopefully they change for the better. And so I'm hoping tonight that we're all going to grow in faith. We're going to take a step up the, the ladder and we're going to grow in our concept and our faith of what faith promise is. And faith promise is a wonderful tool used of God in order to help reach the world. Now, you may keep your seats as we read, but I'd like your help, and I'd like you to read with me verses 7 and 8. 
of Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. And these verses kind of tell us, they teach us that concepts change and things that we thought at one time were important. The older and wiser we get, we realize, well, they're not that important. And so let's read together verses 7 and 8 now. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. These are familiar verses to us, and they show us the, um, the hunger and the thirst the Apostle Paul developed in his desire to know God. And by the way, can I ask you this? When you get alone with God in the mornings, is it very mechanical? Do you just kind of read through your chapter or two chapters and then have your word of prayer and and off you go? Or do you find your heart strangely growing in love and beginning to, to thirst and to hunger and to crave more of the living God? I believe that if we use our prayer closets properly, we're going to find that. We're going to find that we're going to develop a love and a hunger and thirst for God like we knew we've never known before. And so that might be one way in which you can tell if your prayer closet's actually working, if it's doing any good, or are you just kind of going through the, the routine? Well, I do it because it just needs to be done. Or as you do it, is it changing you? Maybe you've read in the Psalms how David would cry out to God and and tell God that he hungers and thirsts for God so much and, oh, when will I be with you? And I believe that that can be a telltale of the effectiveness of our prayer closets. This morning at our 9.30 prayer meeting, and I wish more of you would come to the 9.30 prayer meeting, I really do. We enjoy such a sweet spirit in the, the church prayer closet here. We're meeting in the youth room and get on our knees and we pray for the services today. But this morning I I shared the fact that in the Old Testament, the priest would go in and make the morning sacrifices and then in the end of the day he'd make the evening sacrifices. And the sacrifices brought honor and glory to God. And as we go into our prayer closets in the morning and then into our prayer closets in the evening, we sort of call it the morning and evening sacrifices But truth be known, listen carefully. We are the sacrifice as we lay ourselves before God and say, God, I give my heart to you again today. I give my life to you. And this, I think, is so key, so important. If you want to have a close and meaningful relationship with God every day, at the beginning of the day, at the end of the day, we need to get on our our knees or get on our faces and we need to just give ourselves to God again. And just get in the habit and stay in that good habit of giving ourselves to God and praying, Oh God, all that there is of me, I give you my life. I'll give you my wealth. I'll give you my my days and my nights. I'll give you my health. Lord, I know that sometimes I need to be chastened. I give you my full permission to chasten me, Lord. If it's your will for me to experience suffering, because we know the Bible says that at one point it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That's the Lord Jesus. Lord, if I need to go through crushing, then I submit to that. Like Isaac submitting to his father Abraham 
as they went together on top of Mount Moriah where Abraham's instructions were to offer his son, his only son, as a sacrifice to God. And you know the story. And we need to offer ourselves like that, morning and evening. And if you'll do that, you will find that your relationship with God will open and deepen and enrich, enrich in itself more than you ever dreamt possible. And you'll find yourself crying out for the living God to know Him and to love Him, to serve Him, and that He would use you. And so tonight we want to change our concept. We want to strengthen our concept. We want to grow in faith so that we understand faith promise all the more. So let's begin with prayer, and then we're going to uh, get into our Bibles here tonight. Our loving Heavenly Father, we, we pause and ask that you would please do us this favor and increase our faith in you. Increase our faith in your word and what it says is right and what it says is wrong. Increase our love for you and our patience. Increase, Father, our service for you. Increase our, our times in the prayer closet, morning and evening. Father, it's possible there may be a Christian here tonight in the, in the church tonight who doesn't, doesn't have a prayer closet. and They never take the time and spend the time with you in the morning, let alone morning and evening. And Lord, I pray that you would lovingly show them the benefit of doing this and encourage them to try it by faith. And Father, I pray for such a one that you would make them a glowing example of the power and grace and the bounty and the riches of God that a Christian can have and experience and make them an example of that, Lord. Now bless us as we study the word and help us to grow in faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we're talking about the concept here, the concept of faith promise, so we're going to start with the concept of faith. That's where it should begin. Now as I mentioned, we're going to be looking at different scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, and these are only just a few I've just, I, I've really had to cut it down. There are so many scriptures we could turn to and learn from and glean. And the more of the scriptures we can get in us, the stronger we're going to be, the more our faith will grow. But for the sake of time, I've had to cut things down quite a bit. But at least there's enough here. There's enough meat on the bone that there's a, a feast for us all. And I, I know that you can take it the next step uh, at home. But the concept of faith, Point one under this concept of faith is that God always wants to do great things through his people by faith. God is always wanting to do great things through his people by faith. That is just the truth of the matter. God didn't save you to put you like a little ornament on the shelf and say, okay, now you stay there until I come back for you in the clouds one day. That's not what God's will is. God's will is for you and I to be involved with him and his exciting business. And God's business is exciting. It's more exciting than all of the big multi-billion trillion dollars worth of business being done on the face of God's earth. There is no business greater than God's business. Sometimes at the border crossing, when I go down into Blaine or down to Bellingham or something, uh, the, the border the border agent will, will say, or coming back into Canada, sometimes the border guard will say, what do you do for a living? What do you do for a living? And what I do is I tell them, oh, I've got the greatest job in the whole world. And they look at me and I say, I work for God. <laughs> and you should see the look on their faces. And then I tell them I'm a pastor of one of his churches. 
And they go, oh. <laughs> but you know, they'll go home at night. Honey, anything interesting happened today? Yeah, I had some guy come through. He told me he had the greatest job in the entire world. He did. What was that? You'll never guess what he said. He said he works for God. He's a pastor. Now you may say, well, that's fine for you, Pastor White, but I can't say that. Why not? Why not? Why couldn't you? You can say, I've got the greatest job in the whole world to live my life for God. And I happen to work at the ABC company. Now, why can't you? Why can't you tell others? Why can't you be proud of your Heavenly Father? Why can't you boast a little about what God is in your life? Eh? I think that it would sow some seed in someone's heart. Now, let's go to the Old Testament, and we're going to find Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles, you say. I didn't even know there was a First Chronicles. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the exciting news. Read it in the newspaper today. There's now a Second Chronicles, chapter 20. Second Chronicles 20. Um, let's see. Second Chronicles, chapter 20, verse 20. And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat, he was a good king, by the way. Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now, folks, I'd just like to encourage you to take your pen or pencil and underline what he's about to tell the people. Because this is good counsel. Here it goes. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. See that? And then believe his prophets. Those were the preachers who preached the word of God. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. Now those are two very good words for, for us tonight, to be established and to prosper. And we all want that. Well, this ties in with the concept of faith. It's all about faith. God has always wanted to do great things through his people, and he does them by faith. And that verse right there tells you to believe in the Lord your God, and good things will happen. That's just as plain as, as the words on the paper there. Now, if you go to the New Testament, to the book of Romans, chapter 1. Now, normally, I'll just tell you a little secret here. Normally, when I'm preaching, I try to keep your Bible flipping to a minimum and to keep you in one passage or to look at two or maybe three different passages at the most. But we're not doing that tonight. We're going to look at 17,000 Bible verses. I'm just kidding, but we're looking tonight at a lot of different Bible verses, but we need to in order to understand and get the concept of faith, promise, mission. So in Romans chapter 1 and verse 17, I want you to read that verse out loud with me all together. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Underline those words, the just shall live by faith. And you could put a little reference, you could write in uh, Habakkuk or Habakkuk, as some people say it, chapter 2, verse 4. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. This is an Old Testament quote, the just shall live by faith. 
What we're learning here and what we're strengthening is the concept of faith. We're talking point number one, the concept of faith, that God always wants to do great things through his people and he'll do them by faith. If you're the kind of Christian that all you can see is just as far as the end of your nose, well, if it doesn't, you know, one plus one and, you know, is two, and if it doesn't say that, I refuse to believe it. Well, then you don't know about God the mathematician. God the mathematician who is able to take one plus one and he can make it mean anything he wants. He can do so much more than what you and I can even fathom. Do not discount the power of God. When the power of God came upon Samson, he was able to do what no human being could do. No one. Ever since, from before or after, there's only been the one Samson. If you know anything about his life, tremendous power and strength. And the movies portray him, you know, with some guy with steroid muscles down to here and up to here. That wasn't Samson. He was just a normal looking guy. Look in the mirror, you'd say, huh, pipsqueak, huh? Yeah, that was Samson. The Spirit of God would come upon him. That's why he could walk in amongst the crowd and no one knew who he was. He wasn't Six foot nine, big 290 pounds of solid muscle. He wasn't. He was just a scrawny, ordinary kind of guy. But when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him with the jawbone of a donkey, he was able to slay a thousand trained, vicious Philistine soldiers outfitted to the teeth with all their armor. They couldn't, they were no match for him. Do not discount the power of God. God's power is looking for a channel. God is wanting to do great things through his people. God is telling us, just believe in me. Just have faith in me. See what I can do. Let's move over to 1 John chapter 5, almost at the end of the Bible. 1 John and chapter 5. And we're going to look at verse 4. Verse 4. I'd like you to read that out loud with me. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. Let's read together. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. And that's how Christians can get victory over, a, say, a dirty mind, or a dirty mouth, or a greedy spirit or an angry or bitter spirit, or a critical spirit. Hmm? This is how Christians can get victory over anything that the world has. It's by faith. It's God's power. It's not our power. It's God's power. You know, before I got saved, I used to curse and swear. Did you know before I got saved, I was, a, I was smoking pretty bad. I went from cigarettes to cigars to a pipe. I tried everything I could try. And I used to drink. I used to drink uh, hard stuff, gin. That's horrible stuff. Real gut rot. And uh, the first drink or two would just cut your throat like a knife. But after that, it went numb and couldn't feel it. And then drink till the bottle was empty. And I was about halfway to becoming a chronic alcoholic. And that's when God saved me. What a mess, huh? And there were guys messier than me, 
But I was a mess enough. Well, what happened? God, the first thing he did was he broke the chains of alcohol. And I had no more desire. It was his power through me. Well, the smoking, I still had no victory. I tried quitting. I climbed the walls. I went back to smoking. And I thought I was a failure. And I didn't know it at the time, but I had to grow in faith. And so I kept reading the scriptures and praying and attending church and doing whatever I could. And within about six months, I felt so much stronger in faith. And by faith, I was able to quit the smoking. And uh, like one preacher I heard a few years ago, he says, I quit smoking 40 years ago, and now the only smoke I smoke is secondhand smoke. <laughs> Too bad about secondhand smoke. Eh? They say it's worse than firsthand smoke. Yeah. And God is able to take any bad habit and just to crush it beneath his heel. That's victory. Now that is a difference between the one true living God and just religion. Because religion just tries to do better with the flesh. Do whatever, you know, better self-improvement. That's what religion is. But God, true Christianity is the power of God in us and through us. And that's his power now cleaning us up. It's just like Samson. It wasn't Samson's power. When the Holy Spirit, when they cut his hair, he didn't have the Holy Spirit power anymore. They just grabbed him. One guy held him, another guy popped his eyeballs out. The great mighty Samson. And they put him to work uh, around this uh, corn uh, grinding thing. And that's what he did day, day after day, just like an animal would. He'd be pushing this thing to grind uh, wheat. What a horrible, horrible thing. But when he had the power of God on him, there's no force on earth could stop him. Amazing what God can do, isn't it? It really is. And God is looking to do that through us. Now, the second thing under the concept of faith is that it pleases God, listen to this, to give us faith. It pleases God to give us faith. Now, for this, we'll turn back to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Now, while you're going there, I'm looking up something else real quick. It just came to mind here. If I can find it, I'll, I'll throw it in here. If I can't find it, we'll move on and you'll never know. Okay, there we are. All right, where are we? Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And I think those of us that are saved, we understand what that means. But then it goes on to say, and that, not of yourselves. It's not the grace it's talking about. It's the faith it's talking about. The faith is not of our, yourselves. It is a gift of God. When someone is ready to get saved, God gives them faith to be saved. Faith is a gift from God, folks. Now, I'll, I'll prove this again if you turn back to 1 Corinthians in chapter 12. 1 Corinthians in chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we have the two main 
chapters that deal with all of the gifts, the spiritual gifts that God gives his people. Some of those gifts were confined to the first century because the word of God wasn't finished. And so they needed a few supplementary gifts. Now, one of them uh, that uh, is still given out, it wasn't, it wasn't a, a, like a New Testament era gift, uh, and that is found in, where did it go now? There it is. You have the, um, in chapter 12, verse, uh, let's see, 4, there's diversities of gifts, go down, verse 7, but the manifestations of the Spirit, those are the gifts, and there's nine of them listed here. In verses 7 through to 10, there's nine gifts listed. You'll see in verse 8, where one is given the spirit, of, um, the word of wisdom. See that? To another, the word of knowledge. Those are two different gifts. Verse 9, to another, faith. See that? That was an extra gift of faith given by God. It says to another, not to everyone. There were certain ones then as now that just seemed to have more faith. In, in the body, in the, in the local church, what God does is he gifts different ones with different gifts so that together as a corporate body, we make up everything we need. How many feet do you really need? What do you think? One? How many feet do you need? Two? What about three? Would you like to have a third leg? Not really. It would sure be odd, wouldn't it? Eh? What do you think? Have three legs? How would you cross your legs? It sure take turns. That would kind of look funny walking, wouldn't it? It's like you're sort of walking with someone, but you're not. And I saw in the news a little baby over in India was born with a third leg. And it, uh, they showed a picture of it. It really didn't look like a normal leg, but it was a leg with a foot on the end, and they surgically removed it. Poor little guy. God has equipped your physical body with what you need to live a normal life. I know there's always exceptions to that. Some boy is born with three legs, I know. and Someone might you know, be born with only one. But you get the idea as a rule of thumb. We all have two feet because we need them. We got two arms, two hands, right? We got two eyes, two ears, one mouth. We don't need two because the one we got is big enough. We got one nose. And everything just kind of has its job to do. The local church is like that. It's a body. And it requires someone with extra faith. And it requires someone with extra mercy. And it requires someone with um, uh, the ability to, uh, to rule or to manage. You know, and you get these different gifts that God brings into the body to make the body complete. Jesus said, I will build my church, and he knows what he's doing. We are not all feet. We are not all hands. We are not all eyeballs. But we're all this difference of gifts given to us according to the will of God. He knows what he's doing. And so some people have the gift of giving. They have tremendous joy to be able to give. A certain project comes, they, they give. They give by faith. They love to give. Missions giving, faith promise, no problem. They have no problem whatsoever. Tithing, they, it's like breathing for them. They just do it and they enjoy it. Well, then why don't we let them do all the giving? 
Let's get two or three people like that and they can do all the giving. That's not God's plan. God's plan is for all of us to do giving. All of us to show mercy. All of us to have faith. But what he does is he, puts a, he sprinkles a few different ones in the congregation that have this extra gift of giving, this extra gift of faith in order to help encourage the rest of the body. That's how the body ministers to itself. But faith is something, it's a gift of God and God can and wants to increase our faith. The apostle said to Jesus once, Lord, increase our faith. Um, if you look now at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, we have here verse 2, and we have um, another note on um, how it pleases God to give us faith, because it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The, the word author, an author is considered the owner. That's, that's what the author is. He is the one who originates and who owns what it is he's originated. That's an author. But he's a finisher as well. And we are like a building in progress. And our faith is supposed to be getting more and more and bigger and bigger and brighter and brighter as he is completing and finishing and perfecting our faith till one day we see him. You know that in heaven you don't need faith because you'll have sight, perfect sight. Here on earth you don't have perfect sight. You need faith. And that's why the just shall live by faith. We read about that already back in Romans 1.17. And Romans 14.23 says, For whatsoever is not of faith is something. It's a three-letter word. What is it? Sin. I'll say the verse and I'll leave the last word out. You fill in the last word for me. Are you ready? For whatsoever is not of faith is... Yeah, about 95% of you gave me the right answer. Let's try it again. Let's get 100% participation. For whatsoever is not of faith is? Sin. Sin. It sure is. So what does that mean? Well, by faith, we are to live for God. That job you're working, are you working at that job by faith? Meaning, is that where God wants you to be? And you know it. Your faith tells you so. Maybe you're at the wrong job. Well, what about this person I'm married to? What if, I, what if I can't tell you that I'm married to them by faith? Does that mean that they're not the right one? I got news for you. When you married them, they became the right one. So rest assured. You're married to the right person. Don't worry about it. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So if you can't do something by faith for the honor and glory of God, mark it down. It ain't right. It ain't right. Faith is so important. Your concept of faith, my concept of faith needs to increase. It needs to grow. We need to realize that faith is not just an add-on. It is the thing. It's the vehicle through which we serve God. And God is very pleased to give us faith. That's why you need to pray, Lord, increase my faith. And uh, we're still in Hebrews, so turn back a page to chapter 11. And look at this in verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. 
For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, that's number one, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And I want you to seek God diligently this week. I want you to pray to him and cry out to him, Lord, show me, tell me what you want me to do for faith promise missions. Lord, increase my faith. Help me to be involved with your business. Show me, tell me, what do you want me to do? And I'll do it. And go to God and fast one meal and pray every day. And in a week from now, you should have the answer, what God would have you to do. You know, this morning, I, I have to do the same thing. I do. Because the faith that I used a year ago is no longer any good for today. I need fresh faith, increased faith. And this morning as I was sitting here, I think I got an idea of what God wants me to do for Faith Promise Missions this year. It just, it just came to me. And so now I'm going to take that and I'm going to test it in the prayer closet. And every day this week, I'm going to say, Lord, is this it? Do I have it right? Do I have it wrong? Show me. Show me, Lord. Is this it? Is this it? I'm going to ask my wife to pray. What we like to do is get in our different prayer closets, and then after a few days, we compare notes. And we say, okay, what, what do you think the Lord is leading you? And then, then she'll ask me. And you know, most every time, it's exactly the same thing. Isn't that interesting? God knows how to work both sides of the street. So here we learn that it pleases God when we use faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Now, uh, turn back another page to chapter 10, Hebrews, and look at verse 38. Now this one here, I want you to see. I want you to read it out loud with me. Let's get it down in our souls. Verse 38, let's read. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. God wants us to live by faith. If we draw back and start living by sight, God says, I'll have no pleasure in that, in that person, that person's decision. Say, so what does that mean? Well, supposing that God lays on your heart to give a certain amount of money for missions every week. And, you, and you're pretty sure that's what God's saying. And then you get sitting down, you say, you know, let me think about that. If I give that much, I, I won't be able to do this over here. I might have to give up this here. It might change my plans from the future here. Maybe I shouldn't do it. Maybe I should scale back about 10% or 20% off that. And then I can take that money and plow it into these areas. And you know what? All of a sudden, you're walking by sight. You're not walking by faith anymore. You're not, I should say you're not flying by faith. You're crawling by sight. And God says, if any man draws back, I'll have no pleasure. Now, that's a good principle for many areas of our lives. But we're talking tonight about faith promise. So we're looking at the concept of faith. Now, what we need to do, because we're going to leave that now, there's much more we could look at. And these scriptures are so exciting. We're going to move now to the concept of money. The concept of money. Hey, by the way, I saw in the news, maybe you saw this too, maybe you didn't. You know Jimmy Baker, right? Remember Tam, Jimmy, Jim and Tam, Tammy Faye Baker? Remember those crazy clowns and all of their silliness? And he ended up in jail and she's dead now. And so he's doing a new kind of uh, dog and pony show selling these um, um, preparation kits for when, um, you know, cataclysmic things happen. You, 
you have to have preparation kits and food and stuff. And he's selling these things for $100, several hundred dollars each. So what he's done is he's brought one of these famous lady preachers, Paula White, I think, onto his TV show. And he's so brilliant, he's gotten her to endorse him. Now she is telling all of the TV audience, folks, you have to do this. This is God's will. You must buy these things. And the phones ring off the hook and the credit cards come out and all of a sudden, Jim Baker's now up several million dollars. What a clever devil, don't you think? It's amazing what some of these uh, hucksters can do. And there's lots of them out there. Well, we're talking about the concept of money, God's concept of money. And for this, we're going to turn to the left to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now, God does not put a curse on money, but God does not grovel for money either. Money is a tool. That's all it is. It's not, it's not meant to be a master. Money makes the most horrible of masters. Money is meant to be a servant. It's never meant to be a master. I think it was George Mueller, I think, who said that money is only as good as how it can serve God. Because God, who's the creator of the universe, the creator of our lives, the creator of all things, God created money. That's one of his creations. It's just like music. God created music. And music is only really as good as it can serve the Lord. Money is only as good as it can serve God. Not everyone believes that though. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10. Read it out loud with me please. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Sadly, down through the last 2,000 years of church history, there have been Christians who've been walking by faith and serving God and then got their eyes off God and onto the things of the world, particularly money and wealth and this sort of thing, and they've pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And they that will be rich, ooh, these are the ones that desire it and really go for their wealth and their riches, no matter what. These are the ones that don't realize what they're doing. They're putting their hand down a, a rattlesnake hole is what they're doing, thinking to get the rattlesnake eggs. They're going to maybe get some eggs, but they're going to get something else. They're going to get bit. And that poison will go into their, their system and it's not pleasant. Here we're told that money should not be loved. Do not fall in love with money. Never make this mistake. Um, my wife and my, my son and I, we were watching this thing called the Dragon's Den. These sometimes interesting characters come in and try and peddle their ideas to these over-rich people who decide whether they're going to invest you know, in, in their crazy schemes where they chase them, chase them out through the door or something, the dragon's den. Been around for a number of years. And this, uh, these two guys came in with these blankets. And uh, there were the, the rich people that called the dragons. They put the blankets up on them. And the, the, the two guys coming in were trying to raise money for their company. Uh, and so there's the dragons. And one of them was there. And they're all pretending to sleep. One of them pretend to suck his thumb. 
These are grown adults. And so the one of them there was pretending to sleep and dreaming money. Money, money, money. Money, 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 money. And I know he was only just hamming it up a bit. But you know, he really does express the heart's desire of so many people. There are so many Christian people that can't walk past one of these lotto ticket things at the mall without stopping to buy a ticket. Well, what if I win? You see, that's what they think. What if I win? Boy, then God will be happy then. Boy, you just wait. You just watch. Boy, oh boy, God will just really be thankful if I win. Then I'll be able to give God some money. How about that? Boy, God could really use 10% of, of all these millions. Wow! As if God is rubbing his hands together. Say, do you think we can do it? Do you think we can win? Ooh, I hope so. What a, a load that's, of the, that's not of the Lord, that's of the devil, that stuff. People, they waste hundreds and sometimes thousands of precious dollars every year on those crazy lottos. I don't know if I'm stepping on anyone's toes here tonight, I hope I'm not. But it is one of my favorite things to preach against, is the lotto. That's why we have people leave our church, I'm sure of that. That everyone who's ever left our church is because they heard me preach against the lotto. Well, I'm out of here. I'm going to a better church where they don't preach against the lotto. Well, good luck. You know, the church of Laodicea, they didn't preach against the lotto either. And they thought they were increased in goods and wealthy and all that. And Jesus' opinion of that church, boy, you guys are naked, wretched, poor, miserable. You're blind. Wow. He says, I, I counsel thee to buy gold of me. You know, that's the faith. We're not to love money. If you have a job, praise the Lord for it. But don't be lusting and greedy and groveling and always trying to make more and more and more money. Boy, that's pretty sad, really, when it comes down to that. Um, there's a story that I'm not going to tell you about a guy who was always lusting and greeting after the money. And um, no, I shouldn't tell you the story because one day, maybe I'll tell it to you Wednesday. Because if I tell it to you now, it'll blow the thunder. And it's a great story, and I want you to come Wednesday. So maybe I'll just hold off on that one. Anyhow, enough said, okay? Oh, I disappointed somebody. 1 Timothy 6.10, the love of money is the root of all evil. Make sure you do not love money. If, my friend, listen carefully, if you find you're loving money, you need to go to God tonight and say, Lord, please take that love out of my life. That's, that's an impure love. That's a misplaced love. Lord, help me with it because I'm in love with money. And I got to break that somehow. Redeem me. Get my foot out of this trap. Lord, help me not to love money. If that's one of your struggles tonight. Something else about money, and that is it's not to be depended upon. Now for this, turn back to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians and chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter number 5. Okay. Now, verse 7 is one of the shorter verses in the Bible. So let's read it out, out loud together. Verse 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. All right. And uh, you say, well, what has that got to do with money? Well, 
Uh, how would you like to walk on crutches for the rest of your life? Would you like that? Think of it. Do you remember seeing me on crutches a few weeks ago? My left knee blew out in the middle of the night, and all of a sudden I had some kind of problem with gout or something. It's doing about 95% better now, by the way, and thank you for your prayers. But when it first hit me, oh, it was miserable, and I was on two crutches. And trying to get up and down stairs is a real challenge. And so, uh, you know, I'm on two crutches. How would you like to spend the rest of your life on two crutches? Would you like that? How about one crutch? Hmm? One crutch? Well, that's what money is. Do not depend on money. It's a crutch. If you are depending upon your weekly paycheck or your monthly bonus or whatever it is, that is a crutch. And all the devil's got to do is give that crutch a little kick and you are in disaster city. You're up at night, you can't sleep, you've got knots in your stomach, you've worn down your fingernails, you're losing weight, you're sweating, you've got ulcers, you've got headaches. Boy, oh boy, no one wants to live like that. Money is a crutch. You're far better to lean on the Lord. In all thy ways acknowledge Him. You remember that? Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It says, Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. So if you have a job, praise the Lord, but your boss at work is not your God in heaven. You have a higher authority. It's God who gave you the job. God can easily give you another job. Don't look upon money. Don't love money and don't use money as a crutch. We walk by faith, not by sight. Um, just for the sake of time, I'm going to tell you these verses. Uh, Proverbs 62.10. Sorry, Psalm 62.10. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. Proverbs 23.5, Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. You get a bunch of money before you know it, you don't got it anymore. It's gone. Spent on other things. Rather this, money should be used like an investment for God. Let's go back to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. Now we're almost done, folks. Hang in there with me. After this, we're bringing the plane in for a landing. So we're almost done. Matthew 25, we have a story given to us here by the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> it's a story you're all familiar with. I know that you all have heard this before. So it's nothing brand new. But it's something very interesting, and it's something that I want to point out to you. Maybe you never thought of this before. Verse 14, follow along, Matthew 25, verse 14. The kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents. Now a talent is a quantity of money. Uh, the experts figure that it was something like 60 pounds, give or take. 60 pounds, I don't know how many kilos that is, but 60 pounds worth of, of money. If it was 60 pounds worth of gold, whew, gold is, is it $1,200 an ounce now? $1,400 an ounce? 
Who cares if you got 60 pounds of it? You got so much money coming out of your ears. Or if it was silver, it's still a lot of money. So to one he gave, he gave five talents. And then it says to another two, two talents. To another one. And look at this. To every man according to his several ability. Underline those words. According to his several ability. Why, oh why, oh why hasn't God given me more money? It could be because if he gave it to you, you wouldn't handle it right. Oh, but I would, I would, I promise I would. Sure you would. It's like the, the little children. Can we have a puppy? No, you can't have a puppy. Oh, why, why can't we? Because it's responsibility. You gotta, you've got to take that puppy for a walk. We will, we will take the puppy for a walk every day, we promise. And you've got to clean up the puppy. You know, it goes out in the backyard. Yeah, oh, we will do that too. We'll do that too. And you have to feed the puppy. Oh, we promise we'll feed the puppy. So they get the puppy. And about four weeks later, who's having to take the puppy for a walk? Dad. Dad. Yeah. Who's having to, right, thank you. Who's having to clean up after the puppy? Dad. Yeah. Right. Two rights. Try a third one. Who's having to feed the puppy? Oh, just as good. Just as good. When the puppy gets sick, who has to take the puppy to the vet? The, the kids. Oh, we promise, we promise. And we're like the kids. Oh, please, Daddy, let me win the lotto. Please, God, give me all of this money. I promise I'll do the right thing with it. Oh, God is smart. He's wise. But I'll tell you what he does do. He does take some of his money and he gives it to you. Now, whose money is it? It's his money. Say, so how do you know it's his money? I got it. It's in my pocket. It's in my bank account. Isn't it my money? No, no, you didn't read the scripture here. Look, verse 14. Kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them whose goods? His goods. If you got money, whose money is it really? It's Jesus' money. He gave it to you. Oh yeah, but it was me who went out and got the job. He gave you favor. You got the job that way. But I work hard, 40 hours a week. Yeah, God gave you the ability to work 40 hours a week. Listen, it's His. All that money is His. This is the concept of money. We've looked at the concept of faith. Now we have to look at the concept of money. What is money? It's nothing but a tool. That's all it is. It's not to be bowed to. It's not to be lusted after. It's not to be loved. It's not to be worshipped. It's not to be served. Some people say that the, the dollar boy is falling. The dollar's falling. They say, some people say the dollar will never fall as low as some people will stoop to pick it up. Crazy, isn't it? Some people will, will grovel for the money. Just like Scrooge in that Christmas carol story. Scrooge. Yeah. You don't want to be known as that, eh? He was a nice old Scrooge. Eh? What they say at your funeral? No. Money's a tool. That's all it is. And Luke 16.11, Jesus said, if therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? The money you have is a test. God tests you with your money. If you're going to use it wisely. You say, but how can I use it wisely? How do I do it? 
It starts in your prayer closet. Lord, what do you want me to do? Here's my paycheck, Lord. How do you want me to spend it? Lord, I have these expenses. My paycheck's not big enough to, to meet the expenses. And God might say, well, who incurred those expenses? I did. What am I going to do? Well, trust in me, says the Lord, and I'll get you through this. But we'll do it slowly so that you learn not to incur those expenses again. God is a very good father, very wise. So we're learning the concept of faith. We're learning the concept of money. Money is just a tool to be used for God. That's all it is. A little two-year-old, you show them a candy bar or you show them a $100 bill and you say, which one do you want? Which one do you think the two-year-old will go for? The candy bar. Because the $100 bill means nothing. It's just a colorful piece of paper and you can't eat it. My dog, Charlie. He's learning how to sit up, by the way. My dog, Charlie, if I offered him a kibble or a $20 bill, imagine how much kibble he could buy with $20. Eh? Which one, Charlie? Which one do you want, boy? Which one? Which one do you think Charlie would choose? Kibble. The money means nothing to him. Now, I'm not telling you to you know, spit on the money. I'm not telling you anything crazy like that. But I'm telling you that you ought to go to God and say, God, it's your money. I'm your servant. This is your money. How do you want me to spend it? That's what you ought to do. Your concept of money needs to come in line with God's concept of money. And finally, that brings us to the last point, and that's the concept of missions. Faith promise missions. We've looked at faith. We've looked at money. Now we're just going to look at the missions part. Now for this, I'll have you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, yes, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's do that. This one won't take long, folks, and then we're done. You've been very patient tonight, and I sure appreciate that. And I really wish that we, we had more time. I wish we could preach till midnight and then see someone fall out of the window. Wouldn't that be nice? Very biblical, don't you think? I'm just teasing, but, you know, a 40-minute message is long enough, I suppose. One day I'll try that. Uh, all right, now, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I'd like you to uh, look here. Um, Apostle Paul was writing on how the Lord Jesus died for our sins, verse 3, according to the Scriptures. Verse 4, he was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now watch this. And he was seen of Cephas. Anyone know who that is? Peter, right. So that's number one. Then of the twelve. That's number two. Now actually, technically, there were only eleven because Judas was dead. He'd gone out and hung himself, right? But they were still called the twelve. That was the popular name for them. So that's a number two. After that, he was seen of above... 500 brethren at once. That's number three. Uh, it, Paul writes, of whom the greater part remain unto this present. That's at the time 1 Corinthians was written. But some are fallen asleep. That means they died and went to heaven. After that, here's number four. He was seen of James. Number five, then of all the apostles. Last of all, he was seen of me, says the apostle Paul. So there's six appearances. Now, have you ever 
had someone stand in your place for something. You couldn't be there, but you had someone else there in your place. Have you, have you ever done that? Or do you understand the concept of that? Where you yourself can't be someplace, but maybe you, you sent your husband, you sent your wife, you sent your mom or dad or your best friend or, or someone. You couldn't be someplace, but you sent someone else and they were there in your place. You, do you understand what I'm saying? Well, I'm suggesting to you that you couldn't be there 2,000 years ago when Jesus rose from the grave and when he was seen by these people, but there were people there in your place. I'm telling you this. If you were alive and living 2,000 years ago and you were saved, you'd be over there in that area of Jerusalem. That's where you'd be. And if you heard that the risen Christ was going to be at a certain place at a certain time, you would have gone. There were over 500 ordinary, everyday Christian men, women, and young people that heard, what? Jesus is going to be where? We're going. We're going. Yeah, but it'll cost you a little bit of a journey. Doesn't matter. We're going. Doesn't matter what it costs. We want to see Jesus. And over 500 went on that day and saw Jesus. And if you had been living back then, don't tell me you wouldn't. I know you would. You would have gone and seen Jesus. You would absolutely have gone and stood there and said, there he is. There's Jesus risen from the grave. You would have seen him. You would have heard his words. Well, where did these people go to see Jesus? For this, we go back to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. And this is where we're going to close. I've gone over these scriptures, I don't know how many times, countless times. I can't count the number of times I've looked at these scriptures and compared the, uh, the appearances of Jesus Christ from the four Gospels and the book of Acts chapter 1. And I can't tell you the number of times I've gone over this and over this and over this and over this and over this looking for the 500 brethren. I can find Peter. I can find James. I can find the 12. I can even go to Acts chapter 9 and I can find Paul. When Paul saw the risen Christ. But where are the 500 brethren? There's only one place that they could possibly be. And that's here. We, we read it this morning, verse 16, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. Okay, so there's the eleven. Judas is dead. There's the eleven. They're going into a mountain in Galilee. And when they got there, they weren't there alone. Because when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. You say, well, that must have been Judas. No, you're wrong. He got all over his doubting weeks ago. He doubted on the first day. But then the following week, when Jesus showed up and said, here's my hands, put your finger in the print. Here's my side, put your hand in there. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Thomas wasn't a doubter anymore. Thomas was all over his doubting. So he didn't do any doubting. There's the 11. Now the, Thomas was one of the 11. They'd all seen Jesus. They weren't doubting. None of the 11 were doubting. But yet some were doubting. The only place that those 500 brethren could have been was right here. Right here. 
The 500 brethren right here. Some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them. That's all 511. 511 because the 11 disciples, the apostles and the 500. Jesus came and spoke unto them. And said and saying all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye all 511 of you. All of you who are saved, all you men, all you women, all you young people, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you all way, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And this is where the 500 brethren come in. And this is where you would have been had you been living 2,000 years ago. Those 500 stood in your place. Every Christian man, woman, alive today, vicariously was standing there, represented by those 500. Some people have the notion that the Great Commission was only for the 11. It wasn't. There were 500 more men, women, and young people that were saved, born again. Some of them doubted. But they sure got over their doubt in a hurry. And to every single one of them, Jesus said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Your concept of faith promise missions must increase. If you were here last year and the year before and the year before that, you had faith to get on a bandwagon. But now this is a new year. And also we have new people in our church. And these, these principles must be taught to the next generation to carry on. It's by faith we serve God. Faith pleases God. Money is nothing but a tool. Money is only as good as it can serve God. Money is not only as good as the investment, you know, if you get 5%, 2%, 10%, hooray, whatever, on your dollar. Forget that. Money is only as good as God is able to use it as you yield it to Him. Then money becomes worth something. Otherwise, money... Listen, you know what they do with it in heaven? All the gold? You know what they do with it? gold in heaven? Right? Yeah. It's pavement. It's tar. They pour it on the road so you walk on it. That's all it is. Imagine if some guy came in here and said, Folks, I've struck it rich. I have a thousand pounds of tar. Rejoice with me. We're going to have a party. Are you nuts? You got a thousand pounds of asphalt? Well, hooray for you. Well, up in heaven, gold that we worship down here on earth, it's just pavement. That's all it is, paving stones up in heaven. That's the real meaning of gold. That's the real concept of gold. Money is only as good as, it, as you can use it to serve the Lord. And then missions, folks, that's you and me. If you're here, if you're saved, if you're on your way to heaven, you're part of the 500, right? You would have been there, you know it. And Jesus would have looked at you and said, go ye into all the world. How can I go into all the world? That's why we need missionaries. That's why we need to increase our faith. And this year we need to cry out to God, Lord, show me what you want me to do. Help me to do more for you by faith than ever before in my life. 
And if you pray like that, God will answer and use you in a wonderful way and bless you throughout the year. This is the most important week of meetings in our entire church calendar, is missions conference. The concept, faith promise. Every Christian is responsible for the Great Commission, not just a few. In Romans chapter 10, it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. How can we, here in Surrey, give the gospel to people thousands of miles away? And the answer is missions. Faith promise missions. Let's pray with, with together now.